Many, many, many believers have had an underwhelming experience of church and of the Holy Spirit and, and just walking with Jesus. Um, you know, we, we see power in the stories in Scripture. We see uh, uh, people getting healed, demons being cast out, but our lives are rather powerless. Um, we see lives being transformed drastically. Uh, Paul was on a mission to arrest believers, and then in, in, in just a few minutes, he, he's, he's, he's talking to Jesus and saying, I will go anywhere you want me to go. And we're still stuck in, in patterns that have crippled us. People are having visions. You know, uh, uh, I would want, you know, I would want to be sleeping in the night and, and I'm told tomorrow you should go to Nairobi, you know. That's what's happening with Paul. He's sleeping and he's like, well, change of plans. This is where we're going. Uh, so we see visions and, and, uh, and, and, and for us, we don't even understand. The, for some of us, we don't even understand the Bible. So for so many people, there's, a, there's just the question of, does, does God really do this stuff? Does God really bring good news to the poor? Does God really comfort the brokenhearted? Does God really free the captives? Does God really release from darkness those who are imprisoned, both spiritually and um, at Nakuru GK prison? Does God really give sight to the blind? Does God really make the lame walk? And it doesn't help that, that, that we have a few stories of people who are just, you know, faking it. So that doesn't help. So it's like, well, even the, the ones we thought were happening, we found out that uh, this lady was paid to act. Does God really do these things? I know that some people in the church are stuck with the story of Jesus because they're afraid they would be wrong. Like, well, let me just believe these things just in case it's actually true. But you're really just asking, you know, is, is it really? And, and you know, we, we're okay with Jesus. We kind of go, for some of us, we kind of go, yeah, Jesus is God. I can see how if these things happen, I can see how Jesus healed the sick and raised the dead. But Paul, how did he do that? How is it that his handkerchiefs were used to heal the sick. And Peter, how is he just walking and he forgot his wallet at home so he couldn't help a poor person? And he goes, you know, I don't have money, but what I have, I'm going to give in the name of Jesus. He asked him to rise up and walk. How, how do these things happen? You know, if, 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 if this is the kind of adventure that God is inviting us to, why are most of our lives so dull? Am I the only one who asks those questions? Or, you know, we, 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 we're good with church as it is, you know? Uh, and and we're not, we have no idea what to, do, what to do with the Holy Spirit. We have no idea what to do with the Holy Spirit. Is he God? What does that even mean? Is he a power? Is he presence? Is, is, is it a myth? Did, we, did the early church just create this thing? What is this uh, that, that we keep calling or who is this that we keep calling the Holy Spirit how do we receive him uh, do, do, do we have to be do we have to be weird when we receive the Holy Spirit you know those, those people that when they're just about to prophesy and, and their head starts ticking like this does it have to be like that I'm not saying that please don't don't preempt my talk yet <laughs> um, 
It's like, and the question, who receives the Holy Spirit? Who receives the Holy Spirit? And it's, it's almost like, it, I don't know if you've been to a party where there's that one person that everybody knows but no one really knows. Uh, who's that? Oh yeah, that's John. Uh, who's John? I'm not sure. I think, I think he came with so-and-so. Nobody, nobody really knows them, but everybody knows them. It often feels like the Holy Spirit is like that. Everybody knows we sing about the Holy Spirit. We say, come Holy Spirit. We talk about the Holy Spirit. But nobody really knows. Very few people know what to do with this. I mean, God the Father, we get that. We, we, we get God the Father, creator of all. Some of us, because of our father wounds, we have, a, we have a problem with relating to God as Father. But very few people have a struggle with God as Father. Like, they might struggle in the relationship, but God as Father, great. And some of us don't like him, because it's like, oh, wow, that Old Testament doesn't, depending on your interpretation and, 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 and traditions of it. Jesus, we're down with Jesus. Great friend, great teacher. Like, one of the things the church has been accused of most is, is converting Jesus into boyfriend Jesus. Like, oh, I love you, Lord. And it's not wrong, but sometimes we just, you know, make it mushy. And it's like, because we kind of relate to Jesus. He forgives me. His mercy, his forgiveness, he's funny. I think sometimes Jesus just does things that are just funny. Um, and, and, and that kind of stuff. But the Holy Spirit, we get there and we just draw blanks. Yet he's, he is a big deal. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no church. Sadly, we've gotten to a place where almost everything that happens in church can go on minus the Holy Spirit. And that's just sad news. It's bad news. But without the Holy Spirit, there is no church. Without Holy Spirit, there is no transformation of our lives. Paul says it is, it is the Holy Spirit that transforms us from one glory to another, and then we end up reflecting the image of Jesus. Without the Holy Spirit, we cannot know the Father. We want to know God, but only the Holy Spirit reveals the heart of the Father to us. Without the Holy Spirit, we cannot participate in, in the adventure God is inviting us to. Because there are two invitations that Jesus makes. Come follow me and then go ye into the world. We cannot do either without the Holy Spirit. We just could not. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no friendship with Jesus. Jesus, uh, right before he, he dies, he says, you know, abide in me, remain in me, learn to be in me while you're at work, learn to be in me while you're at church, learn to be in me while you're walking, abide in me, be found in me. Without the Holy Spirit, we cannot do that. He is a big deal. And so for the next couple of weeks, I just want us to unpack that. I just want to say, come Holy Spirit. And, and, but it's more, than, it's more than wanting to know, because you can just know too much. You know, if you have a friend, uh, you know, if, if someone asks me, you know, how well do you know George? I don't go, yeah, I read up on him, on his, on his Instagram, like, I kind of know this guy. No, I, I have experienced George. I have eaten with him. We've played games through the night. We've cried together. I know George. So, it's, it's, so the invitation this couple of weeks isn't to just know stuff, but to open ourselves to the Holy Spirit. And I have no idea what that will look like. This is one of the scariest uh, series to get into. 
Because you can't make these things up. Yet you can only be open and say, come Holy Spirit. So Lord, we ask you to come. Come setting us free. Come opening our eyes. More importantly, come. And do what only you can do. Even in the middle of the stock. Just do, help us just stand back and let you move. Amen. So, Jesus, right about, right about the time he's headed to the cross, he gets excited about something. You know, it's when you know you're about to die, if something excites you, it must be a really big deal. So Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's reminding them uh, the, the, the things that they must not forget. Love one another. Remain in me. And he gets excited about a promise. Actually, he looks at them and says, you guys are sad that I've told you I'm going? It's like, wait, of course we are. I would be if I were there. It's like, yes, we are. But he's, he doesn't think they should be sad. You guys are sad that I'm going? He's excited about the promise he's about to make. John 16, 7. Very truly, I tell you, this is Jesus' speak for, this is most certain. Very truly, I tell you, it is good, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. He's going, I know I'm about to die, but guess what? You people should be happy. Despite his impending death, this excites Jesus. According to Jesus, it's, it's experience with God 2.0. I mean, so many of us here would rather sit with Jesus face to face. We just keep going, oh Lord, if you only showed up and you'd explain these things to me, I have all these questions and all these questions. And those who had Jesus face to face, he's looking at them and going, it's even better that I go. What you've seen Nothing yet. It's even better that I go. Why would this excite Jesus that much? Why would this excite Jesus that much? Because the coming of the Holy Spirit means God in us all. If Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us, he is looking at what is coming and goes, oh boy. Oh girl, you have no idea what's coming because it's about to be God in us all. And this has always been the plan from, from the beginning. From the beginning, this had always been the Father's plan that God will be in you, in you, in you, and also in me. It wasn't just something you stumbled on. Oh, wait, what a, wait a minute. What if we're in them? No, this was always the plan from the beginning. So I want us to start from the beginning. And look at some of these things. So we'll start from uh, Genesis 2.20. Don't worry, we won't read through the whole Bible. But we will be doing a bit more reading than, than usual. Today I am taking my job seriously. So, you know, I thought it would, it would add to it when we read a lot of scripture. Anyway. Genesis 2.20. But for Adam... No suitable helper was found. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of, his, of the man's ribs, then closed it up, uh, closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken from the man 
and he brought her to the man. Now, yes, uh, when I wear suits, I'm often either performing a wedding or a funeral. It's neither of those. And I know you're just thinking, why is he reading about Adam and Eve and the rib? Here's the thing. The word rib that is used there, oh, I've always waited for this. Okay, I've always waited for the moment where I'll throw in a Hebrew or Greek word and tell you this is what it means. (laughs) This is the day. This is the day I get to do that. Y'all will take me seriously from now on. (laughs) Anyway, so the the, the word rib used there, it's it's selah, which really, it's not rib in a biological sense. That's why I am not missing any of mine. Or maybe I'm not because there's no one for me. I don't know, but I am not missing any rib. But anyway, it's not rib in a biological sense. Actually, Almost all the times this word has been used, including the 40 times it is found in the New Testament, it is used to refer to a side, you know, a piece or the side or the wall of a sacred place or of, of the tabernacle or of the temple. Here's what's happening here. Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve's bodies were created to be tabernacles. That's why that word is used there. Adam and Eve were created to be tabernacles. So I want you to hold that thought for me. We'll come back to it. Because the next big scene in the Bible, there are a couple, several big scenes in between. One of those is the story of Israel. And, and, and uh, Israel has been released from captivity in Egypt. They're journeying through the desert. Do we remember how God leads them? Anyone? Let's see if our Sunday school teachers do a good job. Anyway, do you remember how God leads them? He leads them through a thick cloud, right? He leads them through a thick cloud. When Moses is meeting God uh, up the mountain as a friend, God comes down as a thick cloud. Hold that thought. Because I want us to realize that the cloud represented God's presence and God's glory. That was God's way of saying, I am with these people. Where you see the cloud, there is God. Even in that moment, as they walked through the wilderness, as they, as they looked, uh, waited for Moses to come down the mountain, if you asked the Israelites, where is God? They would say, there. Can you not see the cloud? So, God instructs Moses to build an awesome tent. This tent one day looked beautiful, it's going downhill, but it, it had nothing on the tent that, that Moses built for God. Mo, God asked Moses to build him an awesome tent, it was called a tabernacle. This is what God was saying, I want to dwell among you. You see, the, the, the image of Jesus, the Messiah, being Emmanuel, isn't a new thing. I want to dwell among you. I want to be among my people. And this sounds odd. Why would God be in a tent? Could God be contained in a tent? Yet this revelation was revolutionary. Because at that time, gods were localized. Sun God, moon God. The God on top of that mountain. Gods were localized. But to have God amongst his people and journeying with them. The Israelites also lived in tents at that time. And they would pick up their tents and go. They were camping for, many, for such a long time. 
And so God was saying, hey, I, I want to journey with you. I want to move with you. I want to rest with you where you see me rest. I want to be among you, with you. This was revolutionary. So what happened? When they finished building the temple, I want us to read Exodus 40, uh, 34 to 35. Then the cloud, remember the cloud we talked about? Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. That's the cloud, the presence, and the glory of God enters the tabernacle. Uh, um, I want us to... I want us to realize what's happening here. Moses has been asked to build a tabernacle and the glory of God settles on the tabernacle. If you ask the Israelites that day, where is God? In the tabernacle. Can you not see the cloud? Can you not see the cloud? Where is God? In, can you not see the cloud? Fast forward. Fast forward a bit into, into a later time in Israel's history. They're now settled. They're not nomads. They're not living in tents. They have their boundaries set. And, 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 and this king, um, what was that king? Solomon, yes. It just reminded me of that pastor who, who said Goliath was killed by Solomon. It's not one of those moments. Anyway, and so the, this king, Solomon, builds a magnificent temple. It was beautiful in all regard. What happens? First Kings 8 to 10. When the priests withdrew, so they, so, so, so they, had, a tar, uh, they, they had the Ark of the Covenant that, that, that uh, signified the presence of God. Solomon has built the temple and they're now relocating the ark into the temple. When the priests withdrew from the holy place, uh, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord had filled the temple. Do you see the pattern here? A temple is built, the cloud, the presence and the glory of God fills the temple. Do you see a, a pattern? If you ask the Israelites uh, that day, where is God? They would tell you in the temple, can you not see the cloud? Can you not see the cloud? Build a temple, build a tabernacle, God fills it with his glory and his presence. There was only one problem. There was only one problem. They could not come close. There was no intimacy. When the, when the glory of God came down on the mountain, when, when God was meeting with Moses, the Israelites were not even allowed to come close to the foot of the mountain. When the glory of God filled the tabernacle, uh, even Moses couldn't, couldn't uh, be there. When the glory of the Lord filled the temple, the priests could not perform their duties. No one could go into the Holy of Holies. Even the priests would go once a year, once a year, this one exception, and even then they would tie a rope onto his legs just in case he's not very right and he dies there. You ask the Israelites, where is God? In the temple, can you not see the cloud? Can you not see his glory? Can you not see his presence? There's only one problem. There is no intimacy. Now fast forward to, uh, to Jesus. I want us to read John 1, 14. 
word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. So John has just described, he had been looking for words. How do I even describe what we've seen? How do I even describe what we've tasted? And he starts with, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God himself. And then at this point he says, the word dwelt, became flesh, and dwelt among us. The other word for this uh, that is used for, uh, there is the world, uh, the word tabernacled among us the same image from the beginning a tabernacle and then do you remember the pattern build a tabernacle God fills it with his glory you ask yourself where is God in the tabernacle in the temple can you not see his presence can you not see his glory here is what John is saying that in Jesus, in this man Jesus was the fullness of God's glory. In this man Jesus was, was, was God's presence. That this man Jesus was the living, breathing, walking tabernacle. The living, breathing, walking container of the presence and glory of God. We've just come from Easter. And one of the reasons the religious leaders killed Jesus was this. You know, we, we, we often forget that there are other people who claimed to be messiahs, who claimed to be the coming of the messiah. For most of them, the religious leaders didn't even care. They just fizzled. So why was Jesus such a nuisance? They would have let the Romans deal with him if he causes any trouble. Jesus kept saying that he is the fulfillment of this. He's the tabernacle. He's the one who contains the presence and the glory of God. He wasn't just claiming to be the Messiah. And Jesus didn't just say these things. This is how he lived his life. Before this point, for you to receive forgiveness... You go to the temple and do a bunch of things, and then the priest who's authorized on certain days to speak forgiveness over you would speak forgiveness over you. But Jesus was in the streets, and then someone came up to him, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Every time you see that in the Bible, and you wonder why the, the religious leaders are angry, this is why. Because that is not supposed to happen anywhere else but in the temple. So where is Jesus getting this stuff? Jesus is saying, yes, I am containing the very glory, the presence of God. One day Jesus was in the synagogue after he had just come from, from beating Satan like we talked about last week. He's full of the Holy Spirit. He's empowered his, his teaching throughout Galilee and he goes to the synagogue as, as was his habit. And he's invited to speak because people have heard that there's a new preacher in town. There's a new preacher in town. And you know when it's just like here in Kenya, people get excited about new preachers. Like, why don't you speak to us today? And so he gets a scroll and he opens it uh, on, uh, onto Isaiah 61. And Jesus reads, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
And he finishes by saying, and today this is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, if you've forgotten that story, immediately he finishes. I don't know how bad a sermon that was, but they wanted, all of them wanted him dead. They wanted to throw him off the cliff. I don't, I, I don't know why we often miss this. That when, we allow, when we allow the presence of God in our lives, that's how dangerous we will be to some people. We've gotten too comfortable. We've gotten too comfortable. They, and this wasn't just the world. This was the community of believers. They want him dead. They want him thrown off a cliff. But why would they want that? Because he didn't just claim. He wasn't just reading. He's saying, listen, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. I am the container of the glory and the presence of God. Jesus is saying, if anyone dare asks you, where is God? You can point to him and say, there. Can't you see the presence and the glory of God on him? But he didn't just claim it. Jesus healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. He, he made the lame walk. He gave freedom to the captives. He preached good news to the poor. How serious a claim was this? One day he was at the temple and he looked around and said, tear down this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. And he wasn't talking about that beautiful building that is still a wonder to this day. He was talking about his body. He was making very bold claims. He's saying, I am the container of the presence and the glory of God. He's calling himself the sailor. He's calling himself the, the side, the wall, the rib. He's calling himself the tabernacle that God dwells in. Our call to discipleship, because this has been the journey we've been on as a church, our call to discipleship, to become like Jesus, is an invitation to become tabernacles, is an invitation to become temples, is an invitation to become the containers of the presence and the glory of God. So that to, in this day, if people ask, where is God? They would say, can't you see the presence and the glory of God? And does he mean this? He actually does. John 20, 20. Jesus has just uh, risen from the dead. He's, he's been around a few days. He's now about to descend to the Father. He meets them and says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sin, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, their sins are not forgiven. He's saying, hey, I want you to carry the, the spirit of, of the Father just like I did. Receive the Holy Spirit. What is he saying? Become you, all of you, containers of the glory and the presence of God. And he, do, he doesn't just stop there. Hey, I was sent by the Father, now I'm sending you to be, to be exactly who I was. And who was Jesus? The, 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 the container of the presence and, and, and the glory of God. But it's not just that. He now asks them to do things that could only have been done in the temple. Go forgive people of their sins. Like, what? Now you... you you wonder why they wanted Christians killed? It's because of these stuff. They were doing things that were only supposed to be done in the temple because Jesus said, 
You have the spirit of my father. The spirit of the servant Lord is upon you. So that in that time, they would ask, where is God? Can't you see the cloud? Can't you see that around these people, when I am close to Alan, when I'm close to Jim, when I'm close to Ben, when I'm close to these people, I experience grace, I experience love, I experience the presence, the glory, and the forgiveness of God. This is the invitation. And the whole book of Acts is, is this, the unfolding story of a group of ordinary people filled with God's presence, filled with God's glory. And what are they doing? They're healing the sick. They're raising the dead. Uh, they're giving sight to the blind. Prison doors are open. Uh, uh, you know, the lame walk, sense of being forgiven. They are the living, walking, breathing containers of the presence of God. Was this the understanding of the church? Paul wrote a letter to the church. It's people like us. And it is for us today. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Don't you know that you yourselves, that's like the plural you, all of you here, us gathered together, you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst. Paul later on makes it even clearer. You are God's temple. The gathered church. This is why it is so important to gather together. Because together we host the presence of God. Together we, we become the living, breathing, moving uh, uh, presence, uh, containers of the presence and the glory of God. Then in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20, he says, Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you, whom you received from God. You are not your own, you are bought at a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. Now he's talking about the individual believer. Talking about you and you and you and even me. That my body it was created to be the container of the glory and the presence of God, and God has redeemed it to be exactly that. So that in this day and age, if people of Nakuru are going to ask, where is God? That someone would be able to tell them, can't you see the cloud? Can't you see the presence and the glory of God in his life? Can't you see the presence and the glory of God in her life? If they will ask, where is God? As we move into elections and, and things get crazy, can people say, can't you see the glory and the presence of God when Trinity Vineyard gathers together? And how will it play out? We will heal the sick. We'll give sight to the blind. We'll give good news to the poor. We'll give freedom to the captives. Can't you see that the things Jesus did is, is what this community does? We'll give good news to the poor. Do you realize that this is the invitation? This is the promise that excited Jesus. That we would all have God in us. You, 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 and even me. I want to call the band back on stage. I'm just going to finish here. In 
In John 14, 12 to 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples, still on the subject that excited him most. Very truly, I tell you, like if you doubt anything else, don't doubt this. Whoever believes in me will do the works I have done, and they will do even greater things than even these, because I am going to the Father, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask anything of me in my name, and I will do it. I remember sitting in a room where people debated what this actually meant. And some said, oh, now, because we have podcasts, we reach so many people, and that's not untrue. And another group said, no, no, it's about healing the sick and all these charismatic gifts, and that's also true. People debate whether it's about the quantity of work or the quality of work. Here's the thing, every time we're powerless, we get into theological debate. Every time we lead powerless lives, we get into theological debate. Think of this, Jesus always, most of the times, proclaimed, uh, demonstrated the kingdom of God, then taught about it. He would heal the sick and then say, this is what's happening. Not always, but most of the time. Because there is no need to explain things. There is no need for theological debate when there's the power of God. Every time we get into theological debates, and I'm not saying that theology isn't important. Theology is very important because it determines what you practice. But we're not called to just, we're not called to just words without power. One thing we cannot argue about is, that, is whether Jesus meant... Uh, we, we cannot argue that Jesus meant less. Whether, you, whether you're thinking it's, it's, it's in terms of quality or quantity, one thing for sure is that Jesus did not mean we will do less because he's very categorical. We will do much more than he did. And that sometimes is unbelievable. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He makes the impractic, impractical practicable. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And then the other thing we, 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 we cannot argue about is that he meant everyone. What does he say? Everyone, anyone who believes in me will do these and much more. He's saying you, he's saying you, he's saying you at the back, and he's saying me. That we can step into the impractical because the Spirit of God makes it practicable. Whether you're struggling with doubt, yes, you. You know, if you're here only because it's a family tradition and they dragged you here, yes, you too. You know, whether you're battling temptation, yes, even me. Whether you still don't get this whole thing and how it fits, yes, even you. You, 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 and even me. Jesus was so excited. He goes, you know what? You will do a lot more than I did. Why don't we stand?